Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be together. Good uh, to see you all. I am thankful that you are here. Thankful that you are with us. Uh, we are moving now into the second week of uh, the Advent season, and uh, man, really walking through. Uh, what the Lord has for us during this day. Again, the Advent is a reminder that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. So we know that as we walk together through this Advent season, this season we know is marked with hope, marked with love, marked with joy, marked with peace as we reflect upon the beauty and the goodness that is the incarnation or the coming of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Now, as you've already heard this morning through the word and through the singing and also through the lighting of the Advent candles. We are going to focus on uh, really the second point or the second promise of the Advent, which is the word love itself. Now, just to go ahead and let you know, uh, we are still in our Psalms together talking about uh, the Psalms of the Messiah. We're going to be in Psalm 72 this morning and talking and thinking about love this morning, but not in a way where we're going to focus on the different types of love that are mentioned in the Bible, but rather what I hope that we see and what I hope that we answer is the question, where is love found? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you for the psalmist today, as we read Psalm 72 together, we're going to see that he answers our question by saying that love is found in our words. Now, I don't want to downplay the fact that our actions should also reflect love. However, for our time this morning, we're going to be looking at words and the meaning of words and and what they mean to us and for us as we look at this particular psalm. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever given much thought to the implication of your words? I mean, historically, if you look uh, throughout history, wars have been started because of the words of people. Relationships began and relationships ended because of our words. Our commitments to one another, the commitments that we make, the promises that we make to one another involve words. If you're married in the room, then you would uh, hopefully think back upon the vows that you made to your spouse and see the importance and the meaning of the words and the value that they carried. Maybe today, whether you're married or single, you think about your own words that you have made to coworkers or within the workplace or promises that you made and fulfilled or even the promises that you made and yet failed on, whether in work or projects. And you see that words matter. You see, here's the common denominator for all of these relationships. Every relationship that we have involves words. Even our own words to God have meaning. Our own words uh, to God actually matter. In fact, it was Isaac Watts, one of the uh, most poetic, phenomenal psalm writers uh, that we know wrote these words of Jesus Christ in a psalm. He said, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. 
Now, I love these words from Watts because these, these words from Watts actually captures the spirit of our psalm today as we see the celebration of the Davidic kingship that is found in the words of Psalm 72. So this morning, as we look at our text, I want us to focus on the words about the Davidic king. And through these words that were written and ultimately sung together by the believers, I hope that we can see that it's in our words where love is found. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join with me in Psalm 72. And we're actually going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip down to verse 18. And so once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Psalm 72, beginning in verse 1, we read... Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May, the fear, uh, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Look with me in verse 18. The psalmist continues, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, if you notice in your Bibles, you probably notice a subheading in this particular psalm that reads Psalm 72 of Solomon. Now, many scholars have actually understood this phrase to mean that this particular psalm was from David and Solomon with Solomon helping to write this particular psalm. Now, that may be true for many scholars, but there's also a lot of scholars who believe that this was actually a word from David that was written to Solomon as David was preparing to pass on the authority of his kingship to Solomon. Either way, what we do know of this psalm is it's actually a royal psalm dedicated to the celebration of the Davidic kingship. So this is a psalm that's meant to be written as a word of affirmation for the prosperity of the Davidic king. And I don't want us to think of prosperity in terms of wealth and influence. Uh, we're going to get uh, a little more into that in just a moment about what the meaning of prosperity is. But to create a visual for us this morning, I want us to look at this psalm and think of this psalm really as David's hope and prayer for Solomon as he prepares to take over the Davidic kingship. Now again, as we read this psalm together, let's not only just see it in terms of the, the passing from one king to another, but let's also notice how this particular psalm speaks of the Davidic kingship and is written in such a way that we could almost see these very same words being spoken directly by God at the moment of the incarnation. So don't just read them as if 
one king is speaking to his successor. Read them also as God the Father speaking the hope and the love over the beauty that is the incarnation and the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, a third way I want us to view this particular psalm is as God's chosen people, we read these words today and know that because of the love of God for his people, we are now living in the blessing of the words that have now been spoken. So this morning, as we look at these words from our text together and we see where love is found, I hope and pray that we see that these these words, this word of love is found in the words given by God to David, but yet they are also words spoken by God of what is to come. And as we know today, what has been fulfilled. So three statements of where love is found this morning in our text today. First of all, in verses one through four, we see that love is found in a word of prayer. Now, again, if you have a child in the room, they should have a cheat sheet in front of them that they can fill in. And I believe if I'm correct, if your child gets most of that filled in, they can go back and find Brianna and there's a gift again today. There's a prize, correct? If not, I'll just put Brianna on the spot and she's going to run out and figure out what that is. But either, oh, we got it? Good. Okay, so if you're looking for something to keep your children engaged or maybe your husband's engaged, give them that sheet and uh, that should help them as well. And if they start to lose their place. Thank you, Daniel, for showing us your sheet. Uh, I didn't see your maze completed yet. Is your maze done, sir? It's done. Okay, thank you, brother. I just wanted to make sure. Thanks be to God. It's good to see elders lead out so well and so faithfully. Um, Anyway, so children follow along because each of these points are going to be listed. Again, verses one through four, love is found in a word of prayer, okay? So that's what we see in verses one through four. Love is found in a word of prayer. Now I want us to notice that David opens really with a word of prayer for Solomon as he prepares to take on the Davidic kingship. He says this in verse one, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Now again, this was not meant to be what we, the people, give to the king. This is not us giving anything to the king whatsoever, but rather this word serves as a reminder of the authority that the Davidic king already has. Now again, bear in mind what we talked about earlier where this wasn't just David passing on words of wisdom to his successor. This was God speaking of what was to come in the incarnation because as we know, it was Jesus Christ who was in the line of the Davidic kingship. And so what we know of the Davidic king is this, that the Davidic king is the king of all creation. The Davidic king is the, is the king of all preservation. He is the king of the church. He is the king of all of our people. It's a designation that really wasn't given by David, but rather given by God alone. Thus, the Davidic king that we see here in verse 1 is a kingship that is a promise of the king to come for the people. Now, here's the good news for those of us today living in light of the Gospels. We know who that king is. But again, spoiler alert, if you read throughout any of the other prophecies, whether it's Jeremiah 23 or Ezekiel 37 or uh, Hosea chapter 3 or even Zechariah chapter 9, we know that this word from Psalm 72 along with those other passages is both the prophecy and the promise that is made from the word of God by God that the king is coming. And again, we know his name. His name is Jesus. Now, I want us to pay attention also in verse 1 to the word that we see there, which is the word justice. 
Now, many people read the word justice and we think of what God is going to come and do. Um, But we're not talking about justice in terms of the laws of God here. Rather, when the psalmist speaks of justice in this moment, he means that all power on heaven and earth was given to him by God. Again, we are no longer seeing just a simple prayer from David, but we are now hearing a prophetic word from God about what is to come in the coming Messiah. Again, I want to remind you that this word of prayer was not just a word of prayer for the king, but a word of prayer for Jesus about Jesus. So as the psalmist continues in talking about Jesus Christ, he teaches us through these first two verses that, that or excuse me, this first verse, that Christ alone has been declared the ruler of the kingdom. He alone has been given all power and authority, which means he alone has the power to judge. You see, Jesus Christ, in fulfilling prophecy, being in line of the Davidic king, is now the administer of justice. But notice the verse goes on from there. And we see the psalmist speak of the righteousness to the royal son. Again, not righteousness the way we think of righteousness in terms of growth, but rather in speaking of righteousness to the royal son in Hebrew, we're speaking of a righteousness that is everlasting. So notice again, words matter. Meaning of words matter. Words that when you just look at it on the surface looks as though David is speaking of his successor. Ultimately, we now see that this is God speaking through David of what is to come. We see now a prayer of David ultimately point to the coming of Jesus Christ where it will be his kingdom that is established, his righteousness that will come, and ultimately that righteousness will be everlasting. Meaning that God in this prayer is now making a covenant with his people through Jesus Christ. Because Christ would come to fulfill the promise of everlasting righteousness, which is found through knowing him and the eternal life that he offers. So again, what we look at on the surface, notice how a simple prayer for the Davidic kingship now points to a word of prophecy For the one who is to come. A word of prophecy that has been fulfilled in Christ. Verse 2, the psalmist continues and he says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Again, we see the Davidic king is qualified again to judge the people of God. Now again, looking ahead to the Gospels, looking ahead to Jesus Christ, we see that he alone judges. We see that it's Christ alone who governs. It's Christ alone who protects. It's Christ alone who defends. It's Christ alone who pleads on our behalf. It's Christ alone who avenges. And it's Christ alone who justifies the righteous. You see, this king that we are praying for will judge with justice. This king that we are praying for will come and judge with equity in mind. Again, a prayer for the Davidic king pointing us to the prophecy of the Messiah to come. Verse 3, we continue in the prayer. 
The psalmist says, let the mountains bear the prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Now, these words actually matter for us as we pray them because this word of prayer uh, really continues as the psalmist prays for prosperity or better yet, an abundance of fruit to come from the mountains and the hills. Now, to be honest with you, in David's day, this really would have been a common prayer uh, for people to pray together for the king. Why? Because an abundance of food meant a season of peace. It meant a season of no war. It meant a season of no famine. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in my life, and I'm sure in your life as well, we've probably all seen a lot of food fights in our life, but the reality is no one has ever fought over food. Food brings people together. An abundance of food brings peace. And it also opens the table to invite others to join. So you see, when we look at this prayer for the abundance of prosperity to come for the people from the hills and the mountains, we see a prayer that's not just a prayer for the nations. It's a prayer for the local church as well. It's a prayer that can be applied as the kingdom of God through the local church continues to grow and to flourish under the Davidic king, which for us is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. You see, we are now under the authority of Jesus Christ. So when we pray this prosperity, when we were, if we were to join with David and, and pray for this abundance, we would literally be praying for peace and firmness of authority as the church of God is built upon the word of God. So you see, this was a prayer of righteousness, a prayer to grow in holiness as we seek to be faithful to God. So as we grow in this blessing, as we rest in this prayer, as we continue to rest in the abundance that God offers as he calls us to the table, a table that is filled with abundance. Notice that through this point and through this prayer, we now are faithfully called to serve out of an abundance and to invite others to join with us in the abundance of what it is the Lord is doing. In fact, it's Zechariah and his prophecy in chapter 3, verse 10. He says these words, in that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you, will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. You see, as a part of praying for the Davidic king, as a part of God revealing what is to come, we see a part of the prayer calls us to pray for an abundance of prosperity for the king. Recognizing that Jesus Christ himself is the giver of the abundance. Jesus Christ himself is the giver of the grace that overflows in our lives. And yet it's Jesus Christ through that grace who has now called us in the abundance to invite others to come and join as we gather at the table. Verse four, 
The psalmist closes out his prayer by saying, and may he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Now again, this was not a call to provide financially or to declare war on those who are harsh against the poor. Rather, we have a word of prayer that now points to Jesus Christ who will save the poor from their sins and deliver the people from the hands of the enemy who is Satan himself. Again, prayer turned prophecy as we read these words and we're reminded of what Isaiah also said, which is recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 when it says that Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. You see, this king to come that's being prayed for, the king that we know who has come, according to the psalmist, will break the strongholds of Satan. He will break the enemies of God and he will rule with a rod of iron. Again, we have seen the fulfillment of this prayer as we see the birth of Jesus Christ at the Incarnation. We gather this season of Advent to be reminded that Christ has come. To be reminded that this prayer, this prophecy has been fulfilled. And then to look forward with joyful expectation that Christ will come again. So again, as we read these words, see the love as God declares these words for the Davidic King. Know that as we read these words, Jesus Christ has fulfilled them and we now live in the love that was shown to us through the prayer that was offered up in this word. So Christian, again, let me remind you, hear this word of prayer and know that love is found because we now live in the fulfillment of the prayer or the words that have been spoken in this psalm. Secondly, we move from there in the verses five and seven, five through seven. And we see that love is found in a word of endurance. Love is found in a word of endurance. Again, the psalmist moves from a prayer to now a call to endure. Look with me at verse five. He says, and may, the fear, uh, may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. Now, this fear that the psalmist is talking about is uh, both the fear for those who sit in opposition of God, but also the fear of those who sit in amazement of God in worship. Now, for those who sit in opposition to God, they should fear God because God and his kingdom kingship will outlast them. This has already been stated throughout the word of God. In the end, God wins. And so the Davidic king, the one who is to come, Jesus Christ, will bring the enemies of God to utter ruin. At the same time, this, this fear is a healthy fear for the believers as they come together to, to worship God, who is the, the God of all authority, meaning this, that God will judge, but at the same time, it's God in his judgment and justice will then extend his grace, and in the grace we are now saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Again, here the psalmist notes and acknowledges the awe and the wonder of the fact that we, because of our sin, deserve judgment. 
We, because of our sin, deserve the penalty for our sin, which is death. And yet we, by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, will be saved by that grace. You see, the psalmist now tells us that this will be the work of the Lord for all time. Notice he uses words like endures. And he speaks of the uh, as long as the moon throughout all generations. Now, this is actually a very interesting word because what the psalmist is telling us is that God is going to uh, continue to practice his judgment and practice his justice well beyond the days marked for the heavenly stars and the celestial stars in the sky. Notice this about the sun. I don't know if you've given much thought to the sun or moon recently, but I have because I've been reading uh, this text a good bit. But uh, some simple facts I want to throw out to you is this, is the sun is roughly 93 million miles from the earth. Okay, I don't know if you know, that's a long way. Simple math, right? We know the sun gives light. We know it also gives heat. We know that the moon, what we know of the moon is when man traveled to the moon, it took man 55,200 miles or roughly four days of travel. Now, I don't know if you know, but there's an unmanned spacecraft that is literally going to the moon, around the moon, and coming back. And I am, I am literally following that on social media right now, okay? I'm on social media. I don't know about all the nonsense that's happened on social media. I see a couple friends posting things about nonsense. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm following the moon right now. Okay, this is a ma- an unmanned aircraft. Could you imagine for a second sending a remote control car somewhere, like just sending it. Like I'm like, hey, Tampa to Atlanta, let's go. And I'm just going to watch it on a screen. Literally, that's what's happening right now. But the amazing part is how long this trip takes. Over 55,000 miles, roughly four days. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, after a six-hour drive in the van with my family, we're done. Okay? And when we hit traffic and that turns into a seven and a half, eight-hour eight-hour tra- drive, well, we're really done. Okay? Did four days traveling together nonstop. And this is what the psalmist tells us. The psalmist tells us that the sun and the moon will not even come close to outlasting the justice of God. The sun and the moon will not even come close to, to outlasting the grace of God. The sun and the moon will not even come close to outlasting the kingdom of Jesus Christ because the kingdom of Christ will endure beyond the days of the sun and the moon. Man, brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we have reason to wonder. I mean, we have reason to, to worship today because God in his love for his people tells us that his love for us will endure beyond the heavens and the sky. Can I just give you a simple analogy real quick? And man, I'm harping on this a little too long and I apologize. But if you're having a rough day, if you come home and you're having a rough day and it's been a bad day, and you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you had a meeting with me. No, I'm kidding. Maybe you're having a bad day and you come home. Can I just encourage you with something? Can you just walk outside and look up at the stars for a moment? Can you just look up at the moon and say two things? One, God created that. God did that, and then say this to yourself, and God's love for me will outlast that. Can you just be reminded of that today? God's love for you as a believer in Christ is going to outlast the heavens. Wonder and marvel at that. Verse 6, he continues. 
He says, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Now, again, I got to pause here because I can think of really nothing more satisfying in life than mowing your yard or having your children mow your yard and how good, it, true story, and how good it looks once you're done or they're done and then all of a sudden it rains. I mean, there's just something about it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the joy of watching your child cut grass while it's raining. I don't know. But there's a joy in it. There's a goodness and a, and a purity about it. There's just something clean, like this is just good and right. And so literally, this is exactly what the psalmist has in mind as he writes about the coming king who will bring hope and who will bring love to a people that are in despair. God, through David, is saying to us, listen, like rain falling on the grass after it's been cut, so too shall the grace of God fall upon the people through Jesus Christ when he comes. And thanks be to God, he has come. You see, the, the coming of Christ will outlast all things. The return of Christ, eternity in Christ will outlast all things. It will endure all things. It will come to refresh the people of God and to offer hope to sinners who are in need of salvation. You see, God's grace will fall upon his people like rain. And as a popular Christian song says, and will wash their sins away. Thanks be to God for his grace. I mean, think about that. When was the last time, again, just the visual analogy, when was the last time you sat in the rain? When was the last time you played in the rain? I Selfishly, i got to be honest, I used to play in the rain with my kids all the time, and now I don't anymore. And I probably should more often. They probably wished I would more often. But I can remember when my children were younger, the joy and the innocence of a, mo a moment, splashing in puddles, playing in the rain, laughing. No tears. Again, something pure about that moment. And this is how the psalmist sees the coming of the Davidic king. He says that Christ, when he comes, and for us today, he has come and will come again. When he comes again, he is going to continue to pour out his grace upon his people. And his grace will fall like rain, which for the believer should refresh the soul. It should revive us back to life and make us fruitful for his good and pleasing work. And so can I ask you today, are you resting in this season in the grace that has come through Jesus Christ our Lord? The psalmist continues from there. And speaking of endurance, he says, and in his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Again, here is a call to uh, endure. The psalmist now looks to the people to endure with the Davidic king. Now I want you to think about this thought for a moment because he's taking it one step further and saying, listen, if Christ is the enduring vine, if Christ is the vine that outlasts, then we as his people are also now called to endure as the branches endure with the vine. 
In fact, it's Psalm 92 verse 12 that tells us, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. You see, as God's people living in the incarnation, knowing that Christ has come, knowing that Christ will come again, we now live under his authority and thus we are now called to endure and grow stronger in our faith as we can stay connected to the true vine, which is Jesus Christ himself. So notice the words of the psalm here. Notice the call for peace to come through endurance, not only for the next king's reign, but notice God's prophetic word to endure. Notice that in endurance, we are called to be filled with peace and prosperity. Again, this is foreshadowing to the peace and the prosperity that we now know because we are united with Christ. You see, spiritual peace was made with God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peace for mankind was made through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. All things are now reconciled by Him, through Him, because of the atoning work of Christ both in heaven and on earth. So Christians, do we see the love that is found in the fact that we can now endure all that this life has to offer because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ? Do you see that today we have reason to endure because of Christ, because of the fact that his kingdom will endure forever? You see, Christ and his kingdom will outlast all that was created. And the reality is when Christ comes again and all is destroyed, it will be Christ and his kingdom that will remain. And my prayer is that we would rest in the hope and the love and the joy and the peace of knowing that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are a part of that kingdom. As Alistair Begg says in calling brothers and sisters to endure by staying connected to the vine, he says this, endurance is a key indicator of spiritual fitness. And so let me ask us, brothers and sisters today, are we ready and able to endure to the end? Because Christ has endured. Because Christ is worth it. This leads us to our third and and final point on where love is found. And we see in verses 18 and 19 that love is now found in a word of blessing. Now notice here that the psalmist actually closes out his message with a doxology that really closes book two, opens book three uh, right here in our psalms. Now after a word of prayer and a call for endurance, he now gives us a word of blessing that reveals his continued love for the Davidic king and for his people. He says in verse 18, blessed be the Lord, the Lord God, uh, excuse me, the God of Israel who alone does wondrous things. Now, as if we didn't know that this psalm was about God already and about the fulfillment of the prophecy to come, um, the psalmist now turns his words directly to praising God and the blessings that come from the promise of God. Notice that he calls God the God of Israel. 
Meaning this, the psalmist is acknowledging in this moment that this God that he's, he's praising, this is the same God that led Israel out of Egypt. He's the same God who went before them in the wilderness. He's the same God who redeemed them, who saved them, who carried them in the days of old. He is the same God who justified Israel and who's offered salvation that lasts for all of eternity through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the psalmist says, that God, the God of Israel, is the same God who alone does wondrous things. In other words, He is the God who created all things out of nothing. He's the same God who offers salvation. He offers redemption for His people. This wondrous thing that He is speaking of is the atoning work of Jesus Christ that for the psalmist is to come and what it is that we now live in. So you see, the psalmist is not just offering a word of praise to God. He's now giving the people a word of blessing that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Notice what he says as he continues in verse 19. He says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Church, when we bless his glorious name forever, remember that we know his name. His name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He alone is King of Kings. He alone is Lord of Lords. His name is above every name that at the sound of his name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We read about this. Paul speaks of this even in Philippians chapter two. But coming to the next part of this text, he says, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Again, notice this praise of the blessing of God now turns to a declarative statement of praise of what has come and what is coming at the return of Jesus Christ. You see, a day is coming where his kingdom will come. A day is coming where, where he will be established from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. It's almost like John Gill says uh, in one of his own commentaries about this particular passage, in speaking of the incarnation and the birth of Christ, he says this, the little stone cut out with hands shall become a great mountain and fill the whole earth. Then the gospel, the good news of Jesus, shall be spread all over the world and the earth be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now again, church, don't miss the words of the psalmist here as we think of the goodness of the gospel. This blessing was not for God. Rather, this is a blessing for the people of God. It's a blessing through Christ that the people of God will one day enjoy the great kingdom with God, a kingdom that now has no end. And with that in mind, notice how the psalmist ends. He ends by saying, amen and amen. In other words, he repeats this phrase to show both his strong desire to see this moment come to pass, but also his faith in knowing that he knows that he knows it will happen. Literally, he's agreeing with John as John says, yes, Lord, at the end of Revelation. May it be so. May it come to pass. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so, Christian, I want to ask you today. Do you see the love that is found in the word of blessing coming from the psalm? 
not just a word for a coming king, like David passing the torch on to Solomon, but rather a word for the church, a word that Christ has come, a word that Christ will come again, and when he comes again, his kingdom has and will be established for all of eternity. So Christian, can I ask you this morning, are you ready to see Jesus Christ return? Are you ready to see Jesus Christ return? And if so, can I ask you this question as a follow-up, something for you to leave and take home with today is this, how are you living in the hope and how are you living in that word today, knowing that we now live in light of the fact that Christ has come and that Christ is coming again? How are you now living that out in your life? Better yet, how are we spreading that word of love to others who really need to hear it? Because the truth is, they're all around us. Whether, whether they're believers or not, people need to be either reminded or to hear for the first time the goodness of the hope that is found and the love that is found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, as David tells us in this psalm, we have a word to give. We have words of love, words originating of a father speaking to his son as he becomes king, words that foreshadow the coming of the king of kings, words that began with a prayer that called for endurance and that ultimately ends with the blessing of the promise fulfilled. And again, we are not the ones blessing God. Rather, we are recipients of the blessing. So church, can I remind you today, live with endurance, knowing that this moment has been prayed over, knowing that this moment has been ordained according to the word by God. Maybe you're, maybe you're still struggling with this whole concept of love with, with God. I think of no better way to explain it than what Augustine says about it. He says it this way. I think he's speaking in terms of knowing that God loves us. He says this, of God's love. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Do you know the love of God today? You see, in this Advent season, as we wait with hope for the return of Christ, let's remember the prophetic words spoken by the psalmist. Words that came, originated from God, by God, for God, and His glory. Words that teach us where love is found. Let's pray together.